Um, I'm going to talk about a survey that was conducted 20 years ago now. So the Pella Hinterland survey is, um, is uh, quite old, but um, in comparison to some of the recent surveys that have just been presented. However, it does fit in particularly with our focus on Northern Jordan and the Decapolis. So you've seen endless maps of the Decapolis now, and here's another one, um, to locate you for Pella. Uh, the Pella Hinterland Survey was uh, uh, conducted in 1994 to 1996 over a period of three seasons. And the salient features of this survey has, have been published elsewhere, so I'm not going to go into a lot of the details. And I really just want to focus on one particular aspect of it. Um, but just to, uh, it was a, an intensive survey of the immediate context of a very long-lived urban site, Pella, which is in the foothills of the North Jordan Valley. Now, this settlement has continued in the one location for 10,000 years, which is, a, I think, pretty much a record. So we have, on the main mound of Pella, um, Neolithic occupation. And we have, with the odd little gap and, and sort of abatement on the way, continuous occupation through to the late Islamic period and early Ottoman. Uh, so it's a very long period of time. And so the landscape that is around Pella is um, very busy, one might say, with, uh, with occupation through time. And not only uh, occupation in the... Uh, 10,000 years, but in the very close vicinity, we can go back to almost half a million years pre-Homo sapiens. So we've just about got everything you want from Lower Paleolithic, Middle, Upper Paleolithic, Epipaleolithic, and um, I'll point out some of the locations of that as we go on. But my particular research focus is in late antiquity, and that's what I'm going to focus on now. And uh, the evidence that we have for land use and the fluctuations in land use at that time. But I'm not talking about it in isolation because late antiquity is bounded at either end by some very important periods that influence what was happening there. So we have the Roman period, which is very important. And I will also make mention of the Hellenistic uh, material to, to serve as a contrast. And then at the other end, the transition into the early Islamic period, which is a, period, a very important period uh, in our long history that is there and is under a lot of discussion. So I'm particularly focusing on uh, this short period of time in a very long continuum. In our survey, we recorded everything that we found, so we weren't ignoring the other periods, but as I say, I'm just focusing on this period at the moment. And then finally, at the end, I just want to talk about issues concerned with um, threats to heritage and the cultural heritage as it is today and uh, talk about a few issues there too. Um, but first of all, we'll focus um, just on the city because one of the main drivers of this survey was to look at Pella, which um, has been excavated for almost 40 years now, um, continuously which is a long period of time. We have uh, a lot of 
um, as I say, a lot of um, occupation phases to go through, and so it takes quite a long time to get a picture of, of what is happening there. Um, but uh, what's happening in the landscape, and this is what has been coming out in all the other papers that have been presented as well, is integral to what's happening in the city. It is a living organism, the city, within its immediate context. And without understanding that context, we can't really properly interpret what's happening in the city uh, as well. So that was the driver behind this um, survey. Uh, the site itself, why is it occupied for so long and why did they keep coming back and rebuilding in the same place? Well, the reason is, uh, first of all, water. Where's that thing? So this uh, here is um, a photo that's been often used and has already been used in this conference, but we'll look at it again because it's such a great uh, picture of the site showing the, the main mound and the citadel hill of Tel Husen with the Wadi Jiram running in between and a spring that comes out here at the head or was coming out um, that has, occupied, uh, has operated through deep time and, and has um, encouraged people to settle there. Uh, the other reason people would be settling there is because it is um, close to a main route, the Jordan Valley, uh, which we know uh, runs up the Great Rift and heads um, through, through time, if we're talking about people coming out of Africa, they were coming up the Rift Valley, the early hominids. Um, if we're talking about the Egyptian pharaohs or the Assyrians, they were using these major um, access routes. And then, as you'll see in another slide, we also have the Esdraelon Valley or the Jezreel Valley, which is running directly to the coast. So we have that intersection of very two important um, routes for access and for trade. And also, there are access to a number of environmental zones that we're going to look at as well. Um, and so that was encouraging people to stay in this place as well as it was easily defendable. And at times, people retreated to the most defensive uh, situation, which is on top of Tel Husen, and my colleague John Tidmarsh has already referred to uh, its um, nature of retreat, but when uh, things weren't quite so bad, the main mound was the main area of settlement. Uh, so there were many reasons for why people continued to come back and occupy this same site the whole time. And I'll just point out a number of features. It's a rising landscape, so we have this uh, Jebel coming behind the main mound called Jebel Abu al-Khas, and another Jebel coming behind Tel Husen called Jebel Sahaba, and we'll be looking at those on further maps as well. Um, so we're moving up the landscape a bit to just show you the sense of how it's rising, and so we're part way up Jebel Sahaba now, looking down, and as I can, you can see where Tel al-Husen and the main mound are, and you can see the Jordan Valley running north-south and then the Jezreel Valley, which runs to the coast, and the other major city in this area, which is Bethshan, a long occupation, um, a more splendid city at various times than Pella, 
but not quite as long-lived as we were. Anyway, uh, so that is just across the river, not too far away. The Jordan River is about four kilometres from the site. And this is courtesy of David Kennedy and Robert uh, Bewley. Uh, their aerial shot, which showed a different um, view in summer when it's all bare. So if you go back to here, you can see it in springtime. It's full of um, uh, vegetation and you can see the limestone rocks here. Um, I, I've actually forgot to point out that um, this Roman fort, which, oops, sorry. Uh, here, which um, we discovered in our survey, and even though it's quite close to the main city, had never been identified before because nobody really bothered to go up and have a look on top of that particular hill. They found the Hellenistic fort on Jebel Sartaba quite early on, but this one was um, not noticed, and it has an important um, implication for the nature of settlement at that time. Okay, so now this is looking sort of um, nor nor east um, and showing you the, um, the summer barren landscape uh, except for the Wadi Jiram, which is highly cultivated and would all, always have been highly cultivated. It is the most fertile area uh, with easy access to water. Um, but here you can see the plains of the Tabakat hence the name of the local village Tabakat Fahal, the Plains of Fahal, um, that's the current name. And uh, this is the, the, the Tabakat that gives it that name, rich terra rossa soils that were always used for agriculture. But then you have the rising landscape behind, which is much more um, colluvial landscape with um, Renzinas soils on it and uh, very dissected by um, steep wadis and so we have the wadi uh, jiram here which turns into here it starts to be called the wadi malawi as it goes up towards the um, east and i'll just point out the location of wadi hamma because wadi hamma is where there are very important um, paleolithic and epipaleolithic sequences that were identified in the wadi by our geomorphologist, Philip McCumber, um, quite some time ago. And in fact, he discovered all these uh, early sites by looking very closely at the landforms and um, working out the, the geomorphological sequence. And just point out that far in the north, you see this little forest here, the forest of Jafane. There's a village of Jafane just beyond that. That marks the... Um, this side of that forest marks the northern border of our survey area. Uh, as our survey was intended to be um, intended to be intensive, we really wanted to not miss anything in the landscape. It was restricted in 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 zones, so we we surveyed from the valley floor, which is not in this photograph, which is off to the left, um, up into the, the mid-range uh, highlands. Now, it, um, it was an intensive survey, so we, we field walked um, the whole of the landscape. And in the 
750 metres radius around the site, um, we had a gridded transect where we walked along and picked up what we were finding within the transect, 20 metres apart, so we sort of had a metre either side of that, and picked up everything was there that was there to get the field for what's the background noise in the landscape um, and how sites might be identified by fluctuation in artefact densities. Beyond that, um, we, and I'll show you a map later to, sh to precisely locate it topographically, uh, we were surveying topographically. And one of the important things that we wanted to do was to record um, the natural landscape and also what we thought had happened, the disturbances that had happened to it um, since. So we, were, we divided the landscape into natural topographical units and each of those units was um, described by its vegetation, by its um, location, topographical details, etc. The sort of thing that um, we were seeing with Nizar's um, presentation. And uh, so, so that we had a feel for, for, for what was in the landscape as well as the sites themselves. Um, Oh, and the other thing I just wanted to mention while I'm talking about that, the very important thing about this survey is that we, because we had worked at Pella for many decades through all the periods and we had worked out quite a tight stratigraphy, particularly in the area that I'm interested in, which is basically between the Roman and the early Islamic, so just to the borders of the early Islamic, getting that transition, that difficult transition between late Byzantine and early Islamic. We had a lot of um, good stratigraphy that enabled us to define that chronology quite well in terms of the pottery wares and the forms. And that was the best tool to have doing a survey because survey material can be very difficult, as anybody who's done it knows. Um, it can be often very generalised. And so without a detailed understanding of what the kind of pottery is occurring um, nearby, it's, it's too general sometimes. You can't really get a handle on it. So our understanding of that, that pottery sequence from the centre of our survey was very important to us. Okay, this is another aerial view. Now, this time it's, um, it's from one of those 19, early 1990s aerial photos. Um, as I say, because this is an old survey, we didn't have access to all the wonderful um, Google Earth images and um, a lot of the satellite imagery that people can now utilise. So we were working in a more basic way, but anyway, we can still do the job. And uh, so this one's looking south. Um, and I have picked out, I don't know whether you can see them, by the red arrows, the main uh, city mound and Tel Husen. And so that's the Wadi Jurem running between and the mountains of Abu al-Khas rising behind here and uh, Sataba rising behind here and in between that very street, steep wadi, the Wadi Malawi. And then looking further down to the north, um, we have here the Wadi Hamma and an important Jebel um, Tel Hamma. And if you can just see that little blue circle there, that is the hot springs of Hamma. 
Hamamat Abu Dabla, hence the name for this wadi. Um, now that hot spring has been there for a very long time and is very important to the land use and history of the, the city um, in, it, in its immediate context as well. Uh, so um, you can see that this is a very highly dissected landscape and it is rising quite rapidly. So the elevations we were dealing with um, range from minus 200 on the valley floor, 200 metres, to, um, to plus 400 metres elevation at the top. So that was a range of 600 metres in, the, in that zone. And uh, again, good old topographical maps from the olden days. And uh, this is the division of our survey into its three seasons. So uh, our first season we did in the northeast sector, then the southeast sector, and then the final season was in the western sector. And it covered um, 36 square kilometres, basically. That was the area that we were able to cover in, the, in that time with our resources. And there's the, the main city there. Now, this was a map that was uh, done in the early 60s, pre the 67 war. So you might notice that, um, that little houses are shown on top of the main city mound. Um, by the time we came to work there, you know, th th that village had uh, disappeared, unfortunately, um, in the war of attrition in 1970 the site was bombed. So again, if we're talking about preservation of cultural heritage, it was a bit unfortunate for the late Islamic periods that were on there because they have bomb craters on top of them. Uh, after that period, the, um, the village was located off the tell and the only building that is on there, apart from antique buildings, are the dig house, which was actually built on top of the tell. But um, that's... Uh, that's the situation there. Um, I just will slip back to this. Oh no, sorry. Slip back to this one. I meant to point out the Hellenistic fortifications on here that John has spoken about. So we have a Hellenistic fort on here on top of Tel Sartaba. We have uh, one down here on top of Tel Hamma. Okay. And we also have a, a, a Hellenistic tower, where that T is, on this prominent knoll here. So, you know, you really have a strong sense in the Hellenistic period of a big concern for defence. Um, from here, you can see Ashlyn Castle, which is quite some distance away, and thanks to um, our... Uh, Claudia's lovely slide yesterday of um, looking from Umkais to Pella, she would have been seeing Jebel Sartaba where she identified the fortification there. Um, and, and so the, in the Hellenistic period, it was um, a little bit more dangerous. We didn't get as much Hellenistic in the landscape um, and that's probably an indication why. And uh, also, I'm just pointing out, and that's that little Roman fort that nobody knew about, even though it was right on the doorstep until we actually did the intensive survey. So, that's that. Uh, okay, so now I'm going to look at the sites. Now, these, this is just selected sites. If I tried to put all the sites we found um, 
on a map, you wouldn't be able to read it. And I don't even know if you can read this one very well. But what I tried to do to make it easier is to... Um, I have a background of the um, topography from the old aerial photos uh, that were available at that time. And um, so it's a, it's a, a, a patchwork of, of those put together. Um, and I've tried to identify the sites by colour so that at least you can look at colours to try and work out where things are. But of course, sites went through different periods, so there are multicoloured sites here. So um, down here, we've got a red for Roman, yellow for late Roman, which is sometimes a bit difficult to see on the map, um, purple for early Byzantine, blue for late Byzantine, um, pink for Amayad, sorry, Alan, and I used green for the multi-period tells, and so it, I should have had Amayad green there, but anyway, that's the way it is. Uh, so, so they're the colours, that's the explanation of the colours, and if you try and remember those colours, I'll be showing you sites later on that will have colours associated with them, and you will have remembered them perfectly, you'll know what period sites we're talking about. Um, am I running out of time? How much have I got? Okay, I, I better move fast. Okay, um, and then I identified um, different farmsteads, uh, large villas, forts, buildings, processing installations, roads, we found Roman roads, water channels. Um, they're all in there, it's quite busy. Um, one of the things I want to point out is there are numerous wine presses. These, they're all, um, had different types, so they were all given little symbols. I'm not talking about them here, they have been published elsewhere, but the un undiscovered thing that we didn't know about Pella was that it did produce wine. Nobody recorded it in the text, unfortunately, so the brilliant you know, wine of Gadara or, or Capitolius or anything was not mentioned in the text, but we found that there was a wine industry at Pella, but maybe the wine wasn't that great. Um, I just want to point out here that the only two farmsteads, so these are the squares, and you can add a villa there, that had Umayyad in them were uh, this one and, uh, I can't even find it, this one here. So I only had two farmsteads that had um, Umayyad in them, which was uh, quite a surprise. And I also um, am simplifying this map now just down to some more basic uh, things. So uh, we found two large um, villas, identified as villas because they had more splendid things. Um, this one here on the edge of the tail and uh, one here by the Wadi Hama Springs um, Baths. Now, I, um, I can't go into this in great detail because I do want to get to the edge, but anyway, as you can see, there is um, a significant amount of Roman and late Roman that is there, and more so than in the Byzantine period, and that is quite surprising because on the tell of Pella, we didn't get a lot of Roman, but that was simply because um, we were either weren't in the right place or it had been wiped out by later occupation, except on Tel al Husan where we did find it. But on the main mound we didn't find it. So to discover that there's really heavy Roman in the landscape was um, really interesting. And um, also to discover that suddenly it 
um, diminished in the Umayyad period was, was um, quite surprising. The question is, why is this happening? And I can't go into it um, here, but these are the sort of issues of interpretation that we would be asking. There's a lot to say. You can write books about on each of those points. Um, really, I just want to point out the evidence that's there. And from this small-scale survey, then we have to fit that into the larger-scale events and transformations that are happening. Um, I just want to quickly then go on to the cultural heritage issues that are impacting on the survival of the record. So one of the things I wanted to look at was the environmental issues um, and also human agency, agency that you can see there. Uh, a case study here is the bathhouse at uh, the hot springs at Hamamat Abu Dhabla. Now, we had a bathhouse in the centre of Pella, in the Wadi Durham, where the spring was coming out. But during antiquity, that wadi started to silt up and sediment. And the reasons for that were probably related to farming activities further down the wadi. But that meant that those, the early bathhouse in the Roman period could no longer be used. The little Roman Odeon that was there also could no longer be used because the sedimentation had built up. In the late Roman period, a bathhouse was built um, at Wadi Hamma, what we'll, I'll just call it Wadi Hamma, it's easier, um, and that bathhouse was still used when we were working there today, and you can see it in here, and I just look at that zone, you can see the hot springs are bubbling into this little bathhouse, and this is the Wadi Hamma going down here. There was a massive um, flood event down there, and when we came back to have a look, this zone here looked like that. So that's a fairly flat zone. Now suddenly, and what's exposed, massive walls of the, the late Roman bathhouse, and there's a wall above there too. This is a big uh, vertical wall, doesn't show up very well in that photograph, but believe me, they're massive um, stone blocks. And what happened eventually um, was that the spring level dropped completely and stopped coming out into the bathhouse. And, and so that bathhouse that the local villagers were using was pedestaled. Underneath it, you can see the stones of the earlier bathhouse. This is putting it in its landscape. There's a rock bridge that takes you across the wadi over there. The Villa 90 is there. There is a, um, an aqueduct coming down here that also feeds probably cold water into the bathhouse. But um, the significant event there we went back in 2009 after a severe rainfall event and what did we find? More of the bathhouse. These are walls exposed in the gullying here of the um, late Roman bathhouse. And here you might notice this is a beautiful circular structure. Um, it's uh, lined, cement lined. This is, associated, this is a vat associated or a, a pool associated with the bathhouse. All this was exposed by a massive um, erosion that it caused after um, flooding. And um, here we had moulded limestone arch block here being exposed. Also at that time, this is uh, the Jebel Hummer with the Hellenistic fort on top. The Roman road that was going up the side of the, the um, tell was exposed by this event as well. Um, again, the villa associated next to the Byzantine villa, next to the bathhouse, oh, sorry, next to the bathhouse um, is exposed here with the floor 
in detail. Um, so this is natural events um, actually destroying uh, the the uh, heritage here. But when we, for instance, explored this particular farmhouse, um, one of the walls was removed, had already been removed by a bulldozer by the local landowner who was um, working the land. Um, the villa, which is here on the Tabakat, on the edge of the Tabakat, the Roman villa, you can see we did a little sounding here. We found um, a pottery in situ, that's a, a big crater in situ on the floor. And this is army trenching. You know, you can see the position looking across the Jordan Valley. So most of that villa was destroyed by the army in, after, after in the 1970s and, and after that, so for army trenching. So that pretty much went. It had mosaic floors. Um, this is a pottery kiln near Pella that we found. Um, uh, it has now been ploughed into oblivion. This is a, a late Roman pottery kiln uh, that we found in our survey. Um, again, a multi-period tell site that um, is in the landscape and the old uh, Roman road to Gerash went past this. There's an Iron Age fort right here as well as a um, Roman and Iron Age uh, site here. There's been a m major road put right up this ridge which goes through Iron Age processing sites and uh, cairn tombs from the Bronze Age. Um, and again, the farmstead here now has behind it a, a massive rubbish dump from the upland village just coming down on its back door. Uh, and finally, um, Tantour, where there was um, processing installations, Byzantine farmhouse, uh, mosaic floor on the top, completely now destroyed, road gone through the, uh, gone through the farmstead. And this happened two years ago, a massive flood event while we were working at Pella in, in January. Uh, this is the Odeon, uh, completely filled up with mud and silt. This is the Wadi Jiram, uh, which was planted with vines. Um, the massive amount of sedimentation that came down here has completely destroyed the vines and raised the uh, surface by you know, a metre, perhaps with the amount of sediment. So um, a combination of threats to the heritage here is both environmental and man. So there we go. I have to leave it there. <laughs>
Um, the big disaster for our site has been waterworks put in there by the Ministry of Water in the 19, late 90s um, to take water from our spring to feed Herbert. Um, so it was put in a dam and then it was going to feed Herbert. Now that, the aquifer there has now been depleted, but all sorts of um, strange things are now happening as a result of playing around with the water system there. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not sure whether this has ever been uh, studied or, or excavated. Is this a valley fill there in Vadijam, or is it just a, is there a valley fill? I mean, something, I yes. mean, like in a... Yes, there, there, this is highly sedimented. Um, but the problem when um, our American colleague, Bob Smith, was excavating the Odeon, it was, the water table was high, too high. And he had to use pumps. He couldn't get to the floor of the Odeon. So that's how the water table had risen and, um, and that had happened in antiquity. And that's why things changed in the centre of the city in terms of um, how they organised the bathhouse went out of use, the Odeon went out of use, they redid, there's a major church there that they redid things, there used to be shops there, they then had to get rid of the shops and put a staircase on top because the water was rising all the time. Now um, the water's gone. <laughs> So you really think it went out of use due to water, not to sediment? The, well, it, it was sediment. Sediment, I think, had come, you know, obviously, well, I don't know whether it was sediment or, or water. I didn't, we didn't excavate there, but when they tried to get to the floor, they had to use pumps to get okay, the water. Okay, just a short comment. I mean, if it was water or sediment, you can easily find out, because if it was water, you should really find something like two uh, or things uh, connected with precipitating uh, water. But if it was sediment, I mean... It should be possible to clarify from the trenches whether this went out of use due to water, rising water table, or due to sediment. And I would be surprised if it wasn't due to rising water tables. I, I think it's more likely it was just, you know, filled up. Would fit the pit in from yeah, the north. I, I, we didn't excavate down there, so I really can't say. And that was done in the um, uh, early 80s. <coughs> early 80s. So okay. I didn't witness any of that either. <coughs> 